Well, Biden said it was a, an extraordinary success today. That's right, since yesterday, not long after I finished the podcast and uploaded it, we were gone. The military had nobody, no nothing behind. They left Afghanistan, wheels up, no boots on the ground, ahead of deadline, ahead of the Taliban mandated deadline. And today, your president, House Plant, took to the podium behind the presidential seal and decided to tell everybody, including the families of those 13 service members that we lost, that what we've been watching for two weeks was an extraordinary success. Let's take a listen to what Joe Biden had to say. No nation, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. No. The only the United States had the capacity, the will, and ability to do it, and we did it today. Yeah, sure did it. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravely, bravely, selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. Bravely selfless. Yeah, he's on fire. That's Joe Biden telling you, do not believe what you see. He's giving marching orders. Don't doubt it. He's giving marching orders to the press now, and they have taken them. And we'll talk about that today, just like we predicted. We'll talk about what the Republicans tried to do today to put pressure on Biden to get Americans left behind because they're still there. And they're not denying it. Jen Psaki, anybody you talk to on his team, the Secretary of Defense all the way down, oh yeah, there are people there. And unlike 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 15 years ago, when Democrats like these aligned with their left-wing liberal press could control the message and ignore people, thank God there are still cell towers and signals and reports coming from the ground. They're pretty scary. But the new word is defiant. Remember that. That's the word they're using and they're spinning it. The press, they're spinning it as some kind of strength. They're going to try to rebuild Biden here. Even in the shadows of the families who lost loved ones and the people who are looking at this, the average American's like, I don't see how any of this was a success. But the spin is on. It is on. It's going to be a big mission because I don't think in our lifetimes the press has had to spin in favor of a Democrat like they will have to for Joe Biden. Make no mistake, they will. At least the usual suspects will. CNN, MSNBC, Politico, you watch. As Rush used to say, it's the drive-by media. And they will they, they bomb stories. They knew what to do. They dropped all the bad news on us. They, they leave. They, they talk about anything they want. They're never around for accountability. And in this case, you could do a montage like Rush used to of what you're going to hear. You're going to hear defiant, as Biden used it, used by every talking head of the mainstream and the left-wing online social media. Uh, there was a great hypothetical on being sarcastic used by Biden today. We'll talk about that. It's being absolutely hammered by anyone who's watched it. It was really embarrassing, but the guy is, again, he's always embarrassing, so I don't know what the standard is. Um, the White House doesn't want to talk about the new th- terror threat, and then we'll talk a little bit about the families uh, that are very justifiably upset at Joe Biden. They, many of them, I don't know how many, but a number have gone to social media. One particular mother has been blocked by Instagram for simply calling out the president of the United States. Instagram, those Nintendo arms, colored haired, nose pierced, yogurt people, 
behind their cubicles, living in a world that they love, that is COVID, not having to leave their space, doing everything virtual, not having to face or compete with anything or anyone. They love it. That's what we're talking about out there in Silicon Valley in those dark rooms. They're on a mission too. And they probably overstepped their bounds here, but we're in bizarre world. I, there's, we've never been here before. General Jack Keane, who's been on Fox News a long time as a contributor, was dumbfounded. I mean, he's the expert. He's been around combat experience, leadership experience in the military, and that guy has nothing. He doesn't know what to say. And uh, he was just stunned by how this was done. And every really honest member of the military, former member of the military, there are hundreds that are putting it in writing, calling out the president for what's happened, calling for some type of resignation. It still hasn't happened yet. Even the somewhat friendly Biden press is wondering, how can we not have any type of removal at a high level after this? I thought there would be somebody, maybe even a mid-manager type, you know, the deputy secretary of defense or some commander, maybe Milley. I think Milley was in trouble for a while, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he should go. He's a joke. But he's done his duty before this, and that is upholding the woke agenda like a good leftist soldier. He is one of those infiltrators in uniform carrying the academic PhD theoretical agenda and bringing the military back to the social experiment it was during the Obama days. Make no mistake, that's Millie and that's what Biden and really his controllers, his handlers, want. So let's start with this extraordinary success that Biden just referenced. He used that, the, that term in the middle of his glowing review of what he and his people and the United States accomplished. Make no mistake, logistically, what the Air Force did, what the military did in getting, what, 100,000 plus people out in that short period of time is impressive. But I feel like celebrating the logistical success of a fucking retreat is somehow un-American. Sorry, it feels a little, I don't know, pre-World War II European. It feels a little peace in our time. A little Neville Chamberlain. That here we are, celebrating our retreat, but really focusing on the fantastic logistics of how we got the hell out of there. While the house was burning, we did a great job of getting all the furniture out. While people are standing around going, Wait, maybe we should put some water on this. No, 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 let's just, let's focus on getting the furniture out and then we'll evaluate that. Shouldn't we go back and discuss how the fire was started and our first response and what we did? No, 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 let's, we, we did a great job getting the furniture out. Look at all those paintings. Son of a bitch. I mean, this guy's amazing. The balls that this senile old man has, because I'm sorry. Yeah, he's defunct. He's suffering from cognitive decline. There's no doubt. He slurred his speech. He is defiant too. And we'll talk about, I agree with the word. Just, it's not endearing in how he's defiant or who he's defying. Because sometimes I want a president to be defiant. But defiant. But this is America left behind. Biden's uttered the words, we leave no one behind. Every political head, every senator, everyone around in some reference, whether it's to military or poor people, or the homeless, or drug addicts, we talk about leaving no one behind, and we shouldn't. 
Look at the opioid epidemic and the people we ignore suffering from that. Shouldn't leave them behind. People that have mental health issues shouldn't leave them behind. We certainly shouldn't be leaving Americans behind and our Afghan allies in a Taliban-controlled Afghanistan under a major threat from ISIS-K. Imagine the nightmare being there, knowing that you might be on a list that was provided by the United States or that it's just known and people are snitching on you, right? Because people in Afghanistan have not been free for that long. They know how to operate in a dictator society, in a society run by totalitarianism. And that is be a snitch, inform, give good information. It's like being a good communist. So there are plenty of people the Taliban are going to get information from with minimal threat. Meanwhile, you hear recordings. They're on Twitter. They're verified by Laura Logan, who is absolutely, um, I think, one of the most stellar field reporters, and her story is a tough one. I don't want to go into it. We will some other time. But Laura Logan has credibility. And she has shared a few recordings of Afghans hearing the rifle, automatic and semi-automatic and otherwise, the rifle report from people being executed in their homes. These are the people that were called out. The Taliban went around and verified in the, in the beginning days of this tragedy, of this disaster. Now they're following through. We see helicopters flying, our helicopters. It's been verified with people hanging from them. You think that helicopter would have flown long in Trump's American times? He'd have blown it out of the sky. He'd have blown it out of the sky. We know we wouldn't be here. And the people that have the nerve, the balls themselves to say, how do you know we wouldn't be in the same place? Or what would Orange Man done? They know. Not one of those people for a second thinks that Donald Trump would have put up with this bullshit. No way. Remember Kim Jong-un? He's still alive, but he shut the fuck up. We saw all the pomp and circumstance of that visit a few years ago. The pictures handshaking, the walk in the demilitarized zone. Trump knows what the North Koreans need to see in their dear leader and what Kim Jong-un needs to do. But I was talking to a friend today who made a great point. When those doors closed and Big Donald was sitting across the table from that pudgy little fuck, he told him, you step out of line once, I'll backhand you. I got 17 nuclear subs with missiles pointed at 17 different parts of your portly body. And you so much as sneeze in the wrong direction, little man, I'll separate you. I'll vaporize you. It's over. Don't doubt me. And he didn't. And Kim Jong-un went back into absolute obscurity. And that's how Trump dealt with people, and that was the big stick Big Don walked with. It's not debatable. There is no doubt to it. We were significantly stronger until this piece of shit, President Houseplant, was inaugurated and likely elected under the most shadiest of circumstances. But the crazy twist of fate with the people we've left behind, in particular, there's one. One Afghani interpreter who helped Joe Biden in 2008 who was there with him and a reporter who's now at Fox News when Joe Biden and his team were stranded. And I believe Joe Biden was vice president at the time. And Joe Biden was making his rounds, doing his thing, and they were stranded. 
And this interpreter did his thing, got his network together, and got Biden and the entourage out, saved his life. That man, that Afghan interpreter, has pleaded to the president directly, calling in that marker that he so valiantly earned in 2008, asking, pleading for Joe Biden not only to save him but his family. And this was well-known. This was public. This was published before Joe Biden took to the podium today. And did he mention that man, that friend he probably once called, who saved his life? No, he didn't. He didn't because he's a coward, because he's weak. He's falling apart. I don't know what he's on. He slurred today. He usually does. I think the later in the afternoon press conferences and appearances are a worn down disaster for his people trying to prop him up. And all we get from the press is that he's defiant. (laughs) I wish he'd have been fucking defiant three weeks ago. I wish he'd have been defiant as our people were rolled over when our military was retreating, when we left civilians behind. I wish I'd have seen a little defiance towards the Taliban, Joe, not defiance towards the American people who are telling you that you're a goddamn idiot and this was done in the worst possible way. Everybody knows it. But now he's defiant. Now he's going to defy anyone who dares question him because he is part of that yacht club, Northeast, liberal Kennedy piece of shit elite. They're all the same. This guy just knew how to sell it better. Mr. Blue Collar, I ride the train. Come on, man. Fuck you. You deserve all the shit that rains down on you for what you've done to our people and to our image. The image of this country, you have weakened us for decades and you have put us in danger. No one can spin that, Joe. You didn't bring an end to Afghanistan's or America's longest war. You brought disaster to the end of America's longest war. You executed the end in the worst possible way and you've got the nerve to refer to it a day after you had to meet families who had to bury loved ones because of your screw-up, you had the nerve to refer to it as an extraordinary success. You're beyond the pale. You get worse every day, and now I want you gone as soon as possible. You should be impeached. I don't know if it'll happen. We got to win in 2022 for that to have a chance. And maybe by then, we just let the old coddler, codger piece of shit mull around, and maybe by then they remove him and put Kamala in which I think locks us up in 2024. I think we're good to go. So we got to be strategic. We got to be careful with the vengeance. But right now, I don't mind to see him politically suffer. I don't mind to see him suffer emotionally. I don't mind seeing him belligerent because he's losing it. Because all he can do is to celebrate the logistics of a retreat. It's, It's incredible. He's lost it. He's just doing what he's told. I don't know if he's that evil that he would go out there and sign off on remarks saying that we have succeeded while the Taliban is taking selfies in equipment we left behind. Now that story is being spun too. 
And we'll talk about that now. First, the Republicans today in the House tried to pass legislation to pressure the President of the United States to rescue the Americans left behind in Afghanistan. This is something Congress can do. The House Democrats and Speaker Pelosi blocked it. They blocked it. The, the defense, the interference run is on. The press, the Democrats, they are locking arms and taking that knee. And it's all about Joe Biden. And it's really all about power. They've got to get him across at least one finish line, either 2022 or 2024. And they're going to do everything they can to lie to you, to keep information from you to do that. This legislation would have also funded the accounting for an inquiry into the inventory left behind. The $85 billion in weapons and inventory that we just handed over, saying that it was for Afghanistan to defend itself for the Afghan army, the House Republicans felt this was a fair time for transparency to find out. Well, they, they shot it down. They blocked that. That was part of the same bill. Incredible. While the media is going to scream bloody murder that the, the aircraft and the inventory that we left behind in Kabul airport was all destroyed. That's the story they're going to lead with. They're going to try to avoid the $85 billion as much as they can. I doubt they'll be able to because we do still have the ability to make waves in the Senate if we can get Mansion or Cinema to flip and support some kind of inquiry in the form of a hearing. There are Democrats that are aligning with Republicans saying we have to look into this. No shit. It's that bad. What you're seeing from Biden... The words, the speeches, the spin of success, that's them trying to interfere that message and trying to say to any Democrat on Capitol Hill, if you are part of an inquiry, you are saying we were unsuccessful. That's the strategy here. It's not about telling you and me it's a success. It's being on the record and saying this was a success, that we succeeded. And if you are, if you dare to defy us, to defy the Democrat Party as a Democrat and do anything to throw shade on that, air quotes, success, you're going down. They're trying to scare them. They're going to link up with the Democratic National Committee on this, and they're going to talk about primarying, removing anybody when election time comes and running somebody to oppose them in the Democrat primary. They will do this. This is what Nancy does, and this is what the, the political leaders in the Democrat Party have done for years. They are better than the Republicans getting their people to fall in line. And this is no different. This is no different. This is why none of the Democrats that we needed in the House came over and said, you know what, we should do what we're supposed to do and put some pressure and stand behind the people, the Americans that we have left behind. And the House Democrats couldn't do it. They blocked it. That needs to be something that is a part of every campaign ad in every contested district in every contested state for the Senate as we approach 2022, it must be. That is a huge underhand pitch for our side if they take advantage of it because that's on the record. And we have to hold them accountable because nobody's being held accountable right now. There has to be somebody on that side of the aisle who pays for this with their political career. The military is not going to get rid of anybody. The only person they got rid of is Lieutenant General Scheller, who had the balls to step up and speak out against this and call out his leadership, his academic, uh, 
egghead PhD leadership. The stuffed shirts that happen to be wearing uniforms in the Pentagon. The desk jockeys. The ones who are concerned with white rage. It's amazing now. It's amazing that questions about Islamic terrorism are coming back because it's pretty obvious that we're going to ask. And now Biden's downplaying the terror threat. Well, what happened to the terror threat from white nationalists? I thought that was lurking outside of every door. Now we're safe, guys. Don't worry. We're fine. So we're safe from everybody? Or are we still in danger of white nationalists creeping into our homes and killing us? But we don't have to worry about the Islamo-fascists who now are emboldened, have their own country as a home base, and are being flown possibly to locations all over this country. Keep in mind, we are moving people in by the hundreds into military bases in the United States and trying to vet them when they're here. And many are being handled over to the side saying, hey, you're not, you're not qualifying. There were a lot of dudes on those flights. A lot of dudes with smiles that were, I'm sure are refugees and want a better life and God love them. I'm glad they're here. But they're all being moved to like red district. If you're going to an army base, you're pretty much going to a red district, right? A red state. And I think the Democrats out of habit think these are future votes for them. I don't know. I mean, they're going to feed them, clothe them, give them every benefit that taxpayers have to pay for. And I'm okay with some of it. But this isn't like Biden telling people to come across the border, the southern border, we'll take care of you. We'll give you everything you need, which caused this disaster we have right now. This is a bit different. These are people that because of the Democrats are fleeing here and have nothing. So I don't know if that game plan, that old playbook that they so love, whether someone comes legally or illegally, to make anybody sound like a racist if they have any questions about it. And believe me, there's some fair questions about droves and droves of men ages 18 to 45 hopping on U.S.-fueled planes and getting flown to the United States after having been only asked a few questions. There have already been a few that went to other destinations that were on a no-fly list. Now let's shift real quick. I want to I want to talk about a hypothetical that Biden brought up. So we've we've now got a House of Representatives, Democrats, led by Nancy Pelosi, blocking aid in any form, blocking legislation where Congress is holding the president accountable, which is kind of why we have separation of powers, checks and balances. And today in, you know, I think it's the most bizarre moment of Biden's speech. And this is maybe the best example of the people working in the modern Democrat presidential executive office. These are the people who told Biden and wrote a speech for him that using a hypothetical, a 9-11 hypothetical involving Yemen would be a good idea. This goes back to the Ivy League, the Rhodes Scholar, the academic, White House staffer type who's never had a real job. The people that work for President Biden in his closest capacity, the staffers, right? The chiefs of staff, the advisors, the Jake Sullivan national security advisors, all the suits, right? The civilians, his closest advisors. These are people that are silver spooners, 
who made their careers all political on yachts, in country clubs, and at Ivy League reunions, and at daddy's third wedding, at the sister or aunt's baby shower, which are monumental events of society. These are network prep school leftists, the worst of the worst, the floppy-haired, deck-shoe, polo-all-day-long advisor. And this is what they thought would be a good idea for Joe Biden in some incomprehensible attempt to reason with his audience, with the American people, respectfully suggest you ask yourself this question. Mm-hmm. If we've been attacked on September 11, 2001 from Yemen instead of Afghanistan, would we have ever gone to war in Afghanistan? Okay, reminder, Yemen, Yemen is where the USS Cole was bombed by Al-Qaeda. Okay? So, I want to answer this question first. And in the simplest way, you dumb bastard. Yes. Yes. When you, you go down the would we path with a country like Yemen, and you go back to 9-11 and those attacks, and just simply say, instead of running those operations or training for them from Afghanistan, we switch it over to Yemen, and all of a sudden now, let's see where he's going with this. He thinks it's going to be, it would, would have been different Honest. That's because we had no vital interest in Afghanistan. What? Other than Where'd you go with that? An attack on America's homeland and their friend, our friends. What? But that's true today. Is it? We succeeded in what we set out to do in Afghanistan over a decade ago. Get the fuck out of here! He didn't. I don't even think he read it right. No vital interest in Afghanistan. Well, uh, yeah, we did. Our vital interest was so that they wouldn't come back here and pull that shit again. Where did Yemen come from? What Yale grad on the staff thought that would be a good idea? Little son of a bitch probably wasn't even born. For sure wasn't born. I was. I remember sitting at home and wondering, what the hell happened? How did a speedboat put a hole the size in a U.S. naval ship that large? And all those poor kids, like the ones we lost in Afghanistan this week, killed by these cowards. Yeah, Joe, we would have bombed the hell out of him. Bush would have bombed the living shit out of anything, anywhere, anyone harboring an Islamo-fascist terrorist that so much as winked in the direction of anybody who planned or was part of that operation. Cole, 9-11, or otherwise. I've heard some bad hypotheticals in my life that might be the worst one ever. It's definitely one of the most insensitive ones. And it's, it's completely dumb. It's tone deaf. And he's being mocked for it. Now, it's got to be hard to mock Joe Biden on one specific thing because he's always provided so much material. But in the past two weeks, in a fashion that would make Joe Biden's of days past blush, this man has outdone himself every day, practically every hour he speaks. It's worse and worse. And this isn't a gaffe. 
he was reading. I could see it. If you didn't see it, this is on the teleprompter. So he's not reviewing his speech like Trump would, like Obama would, Bush. I mean, he's not glancing at it. I don't think he's able to review. Maybe Jill, Dr. Jill, God love you if you don't call her doctorate ass a doctor. Get the fuck out of here with that. Dr. Jill might read a little bit to him. Like it's pre-bedtime stories before he gets out of the car and goes in and reads it to us. I don't think he re- he really knows what's on there. Any half-decent president of the United States would be like, why the hell are we bringing up Yemen? Jesus Christ, they're awful. They're one of the worst terrorist harboring nations on the planet. They're ISIS level. You don't go to Yemen. Nobody does. Holy shit. And yet he brings them in there and says, they, people can be like, yeah, you know, and of course the press like, hmm, this is an excellent hypothetical. It's extremely academic and very thoughtful. Kiss my ass. That is insane. That's insane. And it, again, just another moment amongst so many where he's led so poorly. And, you know, he's already completely damaged amongst just about every family that lost somebody in the Abigate attack at Kabul airport. I mean, they're, and they're coming out. They're coming out. And the press doesn't know what to do with them. A year ago, they would have. If you flip everything and Trump's in power, this would have been Cindy Sheehan, the sequel. That lady, God love her, lost her son in the early days of the Iraq war. It's terrible. She's a gold star mom. But boy, did she play it for all it was worth. And after a while, it became pretty obvious and it became rather disgusting. She's the one that went down there, went to Crawford, right? The second White House for Bush where he went and sat on on the road and was the top of the hour story for months. And she wasn't the only one, but she was the one the left-wing press rallied around. Imagine if that was today, we'd have the same thing. Now, Fox is interviewing these people. Some other moderate and decent-sized media outlets are interviewing them, but really they have social media, thank goodness. Well, unless they're trying to do it on Instagram. And one of the moms is circulating some pretty intense and pretty incendiary call-outs of the president. And there's word from behind the scenes when he did the meet-and-greet. I know from one of the brothers um, at the dignified transfer, you know, there's a picture of Biden checking his watch. And it's a terrible look. It's extremely uncomfortable, and he's doing it in the middle of the ceremonial portion, not as he approached or as he left. If it was done, everybody was gone, they're walking away, and he instinctively checked his watch, I'd let it pass. I know there are certain things I don't bring a watch to, namely a funeral, because I don't want to check it. I don't want my Apple Watch vibrating, and me somehow in a fog of whatever emotion I'm feeling to glance down at it because I'm not paying attention. I'm not totally self-aware because I certainly could do it. But in this case, what I heard on the radio live today from one of the family members is that he did it for all 13. For each 
of the ceremonial activities for each of the 13 bodies, the man checked his watch each time. That's according to someone who was there, a family member. And during the private moment, when if you hear Ari Fleischer talk about Bush or any other president today when he was interviewed, I think he did a good job summarizing how presidents should be during these moments meeting with Gold Star families, families who lost loved ones in combat. That it's about listening because the families want to tell you about the child or the husband or the wife, the sister or brother that they lost. They're proud of them. And it is a great moment when they can tell the president of the United States about their children, about their loved ones, beyond just their name and rank. And two different interviews I heard today told me that it was extremely scripted and that he talked about his son, Bo, more than he discussed the service member who was lost. I'm, I, I heard it today. I planned it for the show. I'm saying it for the first time. And I'm struggling because um, I, in my days in the military, I did go on one, what we referred to, if I remember correctly, because we were trained for it, death notification. And I remember every moment, every second of that. And um, I was not the lead. I was too young in, in my career, but I had to be there. And it was terrible. I remember seeing what the father was cooking for dinner. I remember wondering how long the food would be out and it was God awful. And it was something that was related to a vehicle accident, if I recall, but you still have the same procedure with a chaplain. And it's that part, the notification is very structured. There's a way to do it to minimize the trauma. But when it comes to the actual personal part, when you're sitting on the couch, when you're connecting with this family who just find out that their baby isn't coming home, you are off script and you're expected, even as a junior officer in the military, to be becoming of your commission from the President of the United States. Now, the man who commissioned me and all officers today, or the office at least, the man holding it, I heard, now we know, unless these two family members are lying and they're not, very solemnly described how Joe Biden talked more about his own son and how it was a very scripted interaction. So on all counts, I mean, if the man was just demented and stupid, but at least had some semblance of a heart, it would ease the pain of what's going on. It wouldn't make it tolerable. It wouldn't make him any more fit for the office. But I'd hate him less. I would. He's just a stuffed shirt. He's a nobody. He's a loser. He could never win this election this office without covid and without universal mail-in ballot shenanigans and all the other shit we saw at counting in ballot stations on election day and the days after this guy couldn't win he's a joke he's been a joke in washington in the senate for decades he was a joke as vice president and he sure used a shitty hypothetical today and we all did last year remember when he got the nomination and we all let ourselves think what if this guy wins and then we laugh? But it was one of those hypotheticals like it's gonna be, it would be really bad. We had no clue. Our hypotheticals couldn't touch where we are now and what he's done. And in just Afghanistan, 
That's just the worst thing he's done in his eight months. This guy is doing damage on all fronts. And he's going to shift back to domestic policy real quick. He's going to get to signing that infrastructure bullshit bill, getting people paid. He's going to do what Gavin Newsom's doing. He's going to get out there and try to pay people, get them some money. And remember, we're surrounded by insensitive, immature, infantile Americans. People that can't think or see past their noses. So in California, that $600 coming from Gavin Newsom is going to help him. And don't think in the United States, in today's world of social media, keyboard warrior dipshits, that Joe Biden can't pull off something similar when he starts paying people. Because he's got the nanny state. The Democrats have built the structure for him to win even in 2024. There are people that talk openly about socialism, that embrace it, and that will come back to a Democrat if they think they're going to get paid. Do I think less will this go around? Yes, I do. But there's a lot of work to do. And Afghanistan and this debacle will be forgotten before the next presidential election. It will be brought up. It will be debated. It will be stuck by whomever's running against Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. But it won't have the same sting it does now. That's what happens over time. It's just the way it is in politics. Will it even have sting next year when Democrats running for office in different districts across the country in the midterms and in different states somehow have to stand up there behind a debate to podium or asked maybe by a member of the press who has the guts to be a reporter that day, these people, these Democrats are going to have to stand by it somehow. And it's going to be difficult. Will it have the same impact that it would if the election were this November? Absolutely not. We have to be real about that. The Republicans have work to do. They have to hammer Biden on this, hammer him on the border, hammer Kamala on this, hammer her especially on the border, which she's supposedly in charge of. And they've got to keep messaging to the American people that we need to be saved. And there's a reason Donald Trump's, what I believe, return to the presidential contenders list is called Save America. And it's, an, it's amazing that he came up with that. His campaign and his team came up with that before this Afghanistan crisis. Save America. That's where we are. We have to save this country eight months after Joe Biden was inaugurated. And it's not like everybody is in the same boat. Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians. It's not like we have a ship full of people that are on board, aligned, and ready to work together. Not only do we have to save America from the damage that Biden has caused by today, but we're going to have to save America by what he and his people are going to continue to do until the next election because they're not remotely finished. Foreign policy, domestic policy, or otherwise, they have more damage to do. And I'm with Rush Limbaugh on this. I do not want Joe Biden to succeed. I want him to fail. Because what he wants, what Nancy Pelosi wants, what the Democrats want are counter to everything I know is best for this country, what we all know. So do not be afraid to say you want the man to fail and you want to be a part of making him fail. That's what defeat is. And that's what we need to do. We do not need to be nice. We can let people speak. We can ask them a few questions and we can tell them, hey, 
you're dismissed. Because anybody who's going to argue in favor of Joe Biden now is lost. They were lost a long time ago. Trump broke them. But on a positive note, there are a few. There's a percentage of people that regret their vote. And they're not even captured in the polls that say there are people that regret their vote. There are people in those polls that aren't admitting it, but do. So it's underpolled, as they say. Those people are the target. They're the ones that fell prey to the mean tweet message amongst the COVID world that gave Joe Biden a shot. That should not be the case next time. And we have a chance to get back to issues that matter for not only us, but for our kids and grandkids. And that's what I pray for. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you learning as much as you can. I try to. I try to condense it into the show. We have to keep that up. We have to make sure we're connected, that we know that only 10%, what is it, the masks that everybody's wearing are only 10% effective against COVID. Don't hide from that study. The University of Waterloo, it's real. Unless everybody's wearing a surgical fitted N95 mask, you're wasting your time. They're out there now making masks that say masked and vaxxed. And yet they still think people are going to get the vaccination. They've lost their minds. We have to fight it. This is not about a virus. This is not about a pandemic. This is about keeping you quiet. And it's about forcing your hand. And it's about swindling you if you're not looking. We have to keep our eyes on them and we have to keep fighting. Questioning Fauci and asking questions about the pandemic and the mandates, it's not enough. We got to fight. We have to say no. We have to go places without our masks, even though the sign's on the door. Because the science no longer supports it. I used to be okay with wearing a mask. The data doesn't make sense. Your kids wearing masks in schools does not make scientific sense. Until a new study comes out, putting on that knitted cloth mask that you ordered from Amazon, or the blue standard surgical mask, doesn't do anyone any good. Okay? The virus is going to be out there for a while. Vaccines are going to help. But there's going to be a big push to get booster shots and more. They're not going to stop. There's a new variant they're mentioning in South Africa. It won't be the last one. No one knows if it's serious yet. But under the microscope, it looks like Delta. So it's real. You can get sick. I got the vaccine. I recommend it based on some doctors I've talked to and what I experienced not getting COVID when I was exposed. But don't get it if you don't want to and if you're not comfortable doing it. Because this country protects your right to do that or your right to not do something. And that's what we're defending. The First Amendment. It overrules Dr. Fauci, the NIH, the CDC, Joe Biden. Until Congress amends it, that is the law of the land. No governor, no board of supervisors for a school, no teacher, no principal can pass a law. They can't. Mandates executive orders. All these things are not laws. You're following the law and now we know you're following science by resisting this mask nonsense. Keep it up. Proud to know that those of you who I know, I appreciate the support. All the new listeners, thank you so much. Um, Twitter, Behind Enemy Lines. Same on Instagram, Behind Enemy Lines. God bless. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We will talk to you tomorrow.